0: Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Well, Jason, welcome to the recap. Recap of Dylan Newworth. Yeah, what'd you think? Astonishing.
1: And again, another parallel to music.
0: Oh yeah, a lot of talk about the analogies of... uh... You know the music world to glass and neon and uh, the teamwork that's required.
1: yeah, it's funny because you'd mentioned that each piece is either like a single, an e p an album it's, it's just, it made me laugh because you know the same thing with Dan Friday
0: yeah, you know the the great thing about people that are as dynamic as Dylan Newworth or Dan Friday is that they are so eclectic mm-hmm. and worldly and they are into everything that is art-related. So Dylan Newworth may focus on neon for a certain period of time, but if you listen to his interview, you hear that this guy is a voracious reader. He listens to music, and uh, he is now a deadhead. <laughs> That's mean, right. He's listening. Not He's probably not a deadhead. And I'm sure he wouldn't want to be referred to Referred to as a deadhead, but he gets into certain types of music that are very specific and a little bit quirky. And it, I think it just shows how much of an individual these folks are. You know, they're just, they're, they don't follow any cultural trends. Right. They are blazing their own path in, totally, a, yeah. in a way. And that's what I loved about Dylan, and I, I I love it when you can sit down with someone and you can almost push a button and just kind of let them go. They have so much to, so much story to tell, mm-hmm. and their story is is uh, is compelling because he starts in this arts community in Athens, and I've never been to Athens, but I have a pretty vivid understanding of what that community, that arts community, is like—quirky, mm-hmm. weird, awesome and welcoming to people that are looking for a way to find their voice in the arts community. So that's where he comes from. He gets a boost, I think, from the fact that his mom is open to the arts and is encouraging him to go in that direction. But he also has some adversity too because of the addiction issues in his family. And you get this, it's like the ingredients for making someone, making a human being who is, really fucking interesting right and someone who is contributing a unique perspective on things and it's that that adversity the addiction issues that he had on his own where he just kind of emerged from i think you call it the black hole black hole yeah. you know the black hole period and uh, he emerges almost like the phoenix rising from the ashes as this new type of artist truly and i i mean studying up on him and i always try to I always try to research my guests in a sort of deep dive way before I get there. I'm not, I don't spend too much time trying to figure out who they are. And uh, when I was looking at his work before the interview, I I was just really stunned by how he uses video to tell stories. This is a guy who is a natural storyteller, but he's also someone who's very comfortable with having the audience still left scratching their head. And coming to their own conclusions, right? You know, he doesn't shut like the this uh, this video piece that I found on a museum website. It might have been Bellevue Arts Museum website where it's it's him talking through a computer. he was like, <laughs> and then I saw the neon sign, and okay, it's not a sign, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great uh, comment because I did make that mistake of calling <laughs> one of his pieces a a sign, which right. is an insult. I I should have been more sensitive to that. But going back to the digital voice, he's using this digital computer voice to tell kind of a it's a story about his life that was pretty impactful, mm-hmm. and it brought tears to my eyes. And I talked about this on on the episode with Dylan. But he he can take a three to four minute video that is not it, you cannot easily figure out what is going on. Mm-hmm. It's not a spoon fed type of narrative that you're looking at. So it's not easy listening or easy watching. It's kind of a challenge, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I appreciate that. I love it when artists make things that challenge the listeners or the viewers or the audience. And another thing that I noticed when I was at the Bellevue Arts, Arts Museum before the interview, I was talking to one of the people that was working in the, the lobby, the front entrance. And she goes, oh, let me show you around. I'll show you all of Dylan's work. Right. And so, we look at his pieces, and then she goes, okay, one last thing, and this is my favorite piece of all. So, she takes me outside. We walk around the corner, the outside of the building, and there is this BMX-style bike rack that is chained to the side of the Bellevue Arts Museum. <laughs> it looks like a stripped-down BMX bike, like nice. no tires, no handlebars, and there's a big gnarly chain on there. <laughs> you're like, what is this? And uh, she's like, this is my favorite piece. I was like, why is that? She goes, let me show you. And she looks down the sidewalk and and there's all these people, these fancy people in Bellevue wearing suits and going to important places, important people going to important places. And they walk right by it and they have no fucking clue (laughs) that they're walking by an installation of the museum. And you heard from the interview with Dylan that he fucking loves that. You know, he loves that he can put something out there like that. And maybe just a very select few people actually get it. Right. And that's okay as an artist.
1: They just walk by it like it's a regular bike rack or yeah. something.
0: And yeah. And not not everybody has to get it. No. And uh that's, I I yeah, I mean it's it's isn't that kind of a cool that's attitude. A, that's to have? the beauty
1: of art too. Not everybody does get it. Yeah. I mean, a certain select few get something out of it and maybe even get more out of it than a different interpretation of what the artist did.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah, and I, I, I love that that artists can be totally at ease and, and comfortable with that reality because you think in this, in this culture that we have of wanting more followers and more viewers and oh, yeah. more adulation and more recognition and accolades and that type of thing, someone who is completely at peace with sort of a minimalist approach mm, yeah. to art and it's like being totally chill with the fact that, you know what? Maybe 99% of the people that walk by here don't get this, and that's fine. And that's what I love, that that attitude that Dylan had, and plus the, uh, the fact that the dude was just a renaissance man, mm-hmm. total renaissance man in terms of uh, having just a passion for all things creative. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, uh,
1: something that I thought was really cool, too, because you've kind of been, for each guest, kind of talking about kind of the the split we have in modern times with analog and digital. Oh yeah. And this is something that Dylan I mean he got that. That's just that's kind of what his his whole thing is.
0: Yeah, the 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 confluence of the digital and analog worlds and bringing those two together.
1: That piece that he had out there of the kind of it looks like a circuit board or some kind of
0: the all my friends piece. Yeah.
1: yeah. I think that was what he was saying that that's basically what that is. Right. And I just that it's awesome to me.
0: Yeah. I didn't even know, I mean, to be honest, I didn't even know that neon was like a medium for art before I started researching him. And it really opened my eyes to part of the art world in the Pacific Northwest that I never even knew existed. So that was kind of a fun part of the interview. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, There are certain people that I talk to afterwards, I consider to be kind of a brother in arms or a sister in arms, someone that I'm like, you know what, I'm going to Next time I'm in town, I'm gonna to call this guy and uh, and see if we can hang out or something. That's what I. That's the way I felt with Dylan. Like, but he's almost too cool to hang out with me. So <laughs> I, I doubt that will ever happen. He probably will not answer my calls or or return my texts after this. But very very cool dude, worldly and eclectic, and just someone that really adds a lot to a community like Seattle. I like his uh, approach or his um, what he said about.
1: Having more women in that field, how he was debrowing the industry.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah, it's really refreshing to have that type of discussion with with men. Yeah, in this environment of toxic masculinity, right? And toxic masculinity is something that I think we all need to deal with head on, especially white males. There's so much of it out there. There's so much that we need to learn. And Dylan seems really evolved mm-hmm. on on that issue super inclusive and encouraging um in the the school of neon the western neon school of art trying to bring in more women into that industry into that artistic field so that was cool to hear i think it's great yeah um so what do we have coming up next
1: a filmmaker from seattle named tracy rector
0: okay cool well uh, that was a fun talk i I hope that the audio came out okay. I know I had a few kind of weird things that happened during the, the interview that affected the audio.
1: It was a little quiet.
0: Yeah. That's
1: that's all I can say. It's just, you know, it's, it's not a big deal. It, it's something that's going to sound really good.
0: Yeah. Tracy was a lot of fun to talk to coming from an indigenous perspective in the filmmaking community. And I've, I've never really explored that. Uh, talking to people who are actually making films that have an indigenous perspective on the world. And, you know, documentary filmmaking is kind of something that she's really specializing in and, and doing really well in. Um, and telling stories that, that need to be told, that are long overdue right. to be told. So it was, it was fun to get to know her, a uh, super talented person, and um, and fun to hang out with.
1: In any way that we can all be educated on those subjects.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: The, the, the more, the merrier, the better.
0: Yeah, that documentary, Dawnland, uh, I, I think is going to be playing free on PBS through the end of November, and hopefully it'll be available on other platforms. Uh, But if you can, go to pbs.org and watch that Dawnland documentary. It's less than an hour long, I think, but it's pretty powerful. and talks about uh, boarding schools, and um, and this is specific to the tribes in Maine who were affected by uh, social workers coming in and basically stealing kids Mm. and putting them in boarding schools and committing genocide so taking away their culture cutting their hair not letting them speak their native tongue and really causing a lot of trauma and inflicting a lot of harm on not only the children but their parents i know it's not a fun topic to think about and to go spend time learning about but it's important I agree. so yeah i think people should go check it out on pbs all right, so uh, we're going to add a, a third topic to these recaps, and it's going to be short, but the topic is, what are you listening to, watching, or reading that you want people to know about?
1: I've really been into this um, thing in my mind now called real life, where I've been posting these things about what I'm doing with my reel-to-reel player.
0: Oh, okay. I've seen that on your Instagram. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's, it's kind of a thing I wanted to kind of start up was just I, I have a ton of tapes that I've found and I've got just tons of uh, retro music on these things from the 60s and 70s and 50s and country music that I've found on there. And it's just fun to buy these tapes at like thrift stores and then see what's on them just randomly. Right. And that's what it's been. It's been like this really cool thing of like 70s music, stuff that I've never heard. Yeah. You know, obscure country music or Something that somebody recorded probably 40 years ago, you know?
0: Yeah, I've seen those on Instagram, and I, I love reel-to-reel stuff because it's so retro, it's so old school, and it brings back memories, you know, because I had a real reel-to-reel machine at my house that I tinkered with as a kid. Uh, but That's neat that you're putting it on Instagram. What's your, your handle on Instagram? It's gemstone49. And spelled J-E-M? S-T-O-N-E. 49. Okay. All right. So they can check you out there. Yeah, I
1: just got a couple videos up there that I did over the weekend, but it, it might be a kind of a regular thing. Just depending on what kind of music I find on there. If it's intriguing, if it sounds good, you know? Yeah. And some of it sounds pretty good still.
0: I heard it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Fleetwood Mac was on there or was, not, was, sure. Yeah, not, I, not sure. Yeah. I think you had like a pretty famous band on there and it was sounded great. Yeah. Like on Instagram. anyway. Yeah. yeah. What
1: about you? What are you listening to these days?
0: You know, I, I am listening to, the Alabama Shakes. Oh, yeah. I discovered them because they have some music on a... They do soundtracks, or their their music is found. You can listen to it um, on soundtracks to TV shows and movies and stuff like that. I, I like
1: and, Alabama Shakes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sort of getting to know them through the iTunes albums that I've downloaded, and I find them to be really unique. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm still trying to get to know their body of work. Another... Well, an an album that I downloaded recently that I'm listening to is uh, Miles Davis, Bitches Brew. Oh, yes. That's a classic. Oh, uh, yeah, I I heard I th- actually heard Brian Koppelman talk about it with one of his guests on his podcast and uh, he said I think he his his argument is it's one of the best albums ever. Oh yeah. Probably the top 5 or top 10 albums ever. And I was like, what is this? I've never even really listened to Miles before. And so I started playing it and it's, it's really complex and just like a lot of jazz, not super accessible for someone who doesn't speak that language.
1: It's a different language.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like a foreign language. It's like you're listening to, you know, Chinese or French or something. You're like, okay, how do I figure this out? (laughs) And so once, but once you start to understand the language that's being spoken, you can appreciate it more, and, and I, I like that about music. I like to be challenged, just like you know we're talking about Dylan Newworth and the challenging art that he appreciates and puts out there. I like challenging music, and, and jazz is just that. Yeah, and I, but my my roots with challenging music kind of go back to the 1980s when I really became musically aware. Mm-hmm. I would say the early 80s is when I started my musical consciousness in terms of listening to like Rush and Yes, and these bands that are uh, not not easy-listening bands sometimes. No. And they're not three-chord wonders. Not at all. La Via Strangiato and all of these, uh, Red Barchetta with Rush, and these, these bands, and, and Queen is another one of them, poppy, but convoluted, complex, layered, and deep. And progressive. Totally.
1: You know, you get these bands that step out of the four-four time frame and do these odd meters you know playing in five five eight or seven eight or whatever and just these different time frames where you're you're going along in a song and it's like where, where are they going with this thing you just don't know exactly how did they do that
0: yeah I, I was listening to uh or i was watching a youtube video on a led zeppelin song and i forget the name of the song but jimmy page and john bonham were, were playing two different time signatures at the same time and then converged kind of want to think that that was cashmere it, it might have been, and I'll have to, if I find the video, I'll send it to you. But they showed how they started off completely different time signatures, but then at the end of their riffs converged into the same time signature. And it's that type of complexity that I just, I love doing deep dives like that. Yeah. And then uh, that kind of progressed into, in the late 80s. In the early '90s, listening to Primus. I don't know if you've ever listened oh. to. Oh, I love it. Dude. Sailing the seas of cheese. Oh my gosh! Pork soda. Les Claypool. <laughs> I. I mean, he's one of like he's like the white whale for me for he's- for podcast guests. I would love to get him on my my that show. That would
1: be insane.
0: Yeah. So let's yeah. try to make that happen.
1: Anybody out there can get Les Claypool. Get a hold of us. Um,
0: yeah, that would be a story. Slip into my DMs. <laughs> send me send me his contact info. Right. Yeah. The other white whale that we're looking for is Bill Murray, by the way. Oh, boy. That's a hard one, I bet. Yeah. Just tell Bill to call me, text me, and we'll get him on the show. Right away. Yeah. Well, uh, Jason, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for the recap, man. You bet. Hey, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Dream Path Podcast. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to your favorite podcast service and give me a rating and review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. I appreciate your time and as always go find your dream path.